drive through a pool of gore and you turn around and you see you're making tracks on the road with blood, you know, as you go out. Coyote blood, more often. It's just like, I thought, you can't make this up. And also, I was really upset because I thought, no one is going to believe this, you know. It's, it's like, it's already gone off the tracks in terms of like how to tell a story about it. How's that for a beginning? Do you want omens? When I moved to Somerset with my wife, back to her hometown, I heard people talking about how Route 66 was being extended just north of the city. Everyone believed it, and politicians and members of the Highway Commission weren't correcting them. Senator Hal Rogers wanted people to believe that the Mother Road, America's first great highway, was going to connect this community to America's ancestral history. Hal Rogers invoked the post-World War II golden age that never really existed, except in the minds of Americans who believed their lives were better when things were simpler. But things were never simple. The history of America is a complex history of race and technology and political power. And the only thing that connects I-66 to Route 66 is that powerful men secretly decided how those roads would be built and who would get paid. How is it on, like, on a map? Like, where, where are we? It doesn't look like you should drive toward it. Yeah? But, um, but on the map... I'm on the road with Pinarol's editor, Boone Williams. We're searching for I-66, trying to find the road to nowhere that Hal Rogers built with $90 million in federal funds, a project that ultimately never went anywhere. Every time the newspaper or any type of journalist contacts the Transportation Department and the Department Department of Roads, um, they always say, oh no, this is still an active project. (laughs) And it's like, there's no way it's an active project. The original corridor, right, was this. Yeah. So this is, like, we're about to turn on to what... What would be... This would okay. be I-66. I do remember just uh, speculation that we were or weren't going to get an interstate and that everything... But, you know, some people would have been really excited about that, uh, the prospect of us getting an interstate, but then there was probably just as many or more people that were, like... You know, want to sort of remain a little bit isolated and off the beaten path, so. Yeah, it's like you said, it's like the dead carcass of an interstate, basically. We are nowhere right now. Uh, and that is where this road has led us, but we're not all that far from like every experience I've ever had in Somerset is, you know? Because it, I mean, everyone acknowledges that it's, it's just, you know, it's a dead end. Yeah, it's a dead end. It's a failed, uh, it's a th- something that never happened. When Nick Pizzolatto was working on the second season of True Detective, he was asked in an interview about what the subject of the second season would be. He replied, it's about hard women, bad men, and the secret occult history of the United States transportation system. After the second season of True Detective aired, 
I didn't see much of the secret occult history of the U.S. transportation system in the actual work itself. But I was intrigued by the possibility that Pizzolatto had a heap of notes he'd put together on just that subject, and that it may have been too esoteric to put into an actual show. But it spurred me, nonetheless, to put together my own research toward the topic. And in that pursuit, I found a lot of fucking strange things and a lot of evidence that paints a very occult history, a very secret history of U.S. transportation and specifically the underlying occult nature of the U.S. highway system. That's how I discovered Corey Daniels' research regarding the construction of Route 66 by Freemasons adhering to a Kabbalistic and magical system. People don't realize how much the Masons and people that have totally crazy ideas, right? That that mm-hmm. that you, that even if you don't believe those things, those things are still happening, right? And they're still affecting your life because the people that do believe those things are acting on those beliefs, and they're you yeah. know so so in that sense, like the way that America was, because the only way America grew into what it was was through roads. That's when Rome became an empire. You know, it needed roads. It needed information to be able to flow. Knowledge, Amen, brother. And so, goods, products, ideas. Right. Yes, yeah. And so, so in a sense, America needed those roads to to become the nation it is, and those roads were built literally by Freemasons, and and yeah. and in it with very much magic and sorcery and connecting lodges together in mind, you know. Yeah. And so, anyway, but if you if you don't mind talking about that, son, uh, not at all. Let's do it. Um, thanks for having me here today, man. Uh, my name's Corey, Corey Daniel. I'm a, I'm a researcher primarily uh, here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a third generation Phoenician. I am the founder of the website, The Phoenix Enigma. Um, it is a, um, well, if, if you go to the front of it, it says uh, deocculting. In essence, I am a deoccultist. Um, I'm a practicing occultist in the way that um, um, a criminologist studies crime and a cultist studies the occult. There is the Phoenix Enigma, unveiling modern day sorcery, exploring ancient history and deocculting the world. Route 66 was known as the Mother Road. It ran from Chicago to, to a Santa Monica for 2,448 miles. You have a number of people involved. Cyrus Avery, born August 31st, 1871, known as the Father Route 66. He was a member of the Masonic Lodge of Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1905, when he rose to the level of 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason. He's the head of the Albert Pike Highway Association. Okay. Now, what no one knows about, you know, the history, we're fascinated with the cars, right? Oh, the cars, the cars, the cars. Nobody geeks out and goes into what the cars drive on, right? Without the road, you can't have, you know, the cars are useless. Go take your, your, your hottest, latest car and go drive through the damn desert with it. You know, or the woods, it ain't going to happen. You need roads. And we talk about where, where, where stuff gets done. When we're talking masons, we're talking infrastructure. And that's exactly what happened with the founding of this country and the, the movement West. And how do you take over the infrastructure and lay out your tentacles? Well, through your roads. Now, is it an accident that a 32nd degree Freemason named his highway association, the Albert Pike Highway Association? Albert Pike is the most well-known. He was the granddaddy of masonry in America, right? Scottish right masonry. Avery founded the uh, the highway, the U.S. 66 Highway Association. He partnered up with John Marshall Page, John Woodruff, Edward Fitzgerald Beale. Um, these were people who were all involved with this association and growing this highway system um, west. Now, don't forget Henry Ford with the Ford Automobile um, mass pr- producing. He was a 33rd degree Scottish Rite Mason. So Masons made the cars, Masons made the roads, they went west. So Cyrus Avery was a 32nd degree Mason. Okay, cool. Ford's a 33rd degree Mason. Okay, cool. He has, he founds the Albert Pike Highway Association. All right. So he was an Albert Pike and he named it in honor of him. Or, and he was an aspiring politician. Could it be that Cyrus Avery was going for 33rd degree fellowship? Did he want to become more? Yes, he did. And he, he never really did move past what he did for whatever reason. You look at the Route 66 itself, 2,448 miles. If you convert that into Scottish miles, you get 2,171.5765 miles. Those are the Scottish miles. Scottish mile and English mile are not the same. Okay. So you take 2,171 Scottish miles, which is the length of Route 66 from Chicago to Santa Monica, and you divide that by 66. 
and you get 32.90 or 32 and 9 tenths, which is the closest one can get to a 33rd degree Mason without having the honor of it being bestowed upon you. Remember, one cannot become a 32nd degree Mason through their own merit. 33rd is an honorary degree only bestowed for meritous service to craft masonry. So when you look at the length of the road in Scottish miles, it is divided by 66. It's 32 and 9 tenths, the closest you, you, can, you can get. Is that an accident? Uh, no, it's absolutely not. Could it be that you know my interpretation of this is wrong? Did he maybe he maybe he needed an extra mile of road to make it 33, and it didn't mess up, so it ended up being this? I don't know, but these are the actual numbers, and this is kind of what I'm inferring from it. That you know, because you don't know how you know history is what we we know what's been recorded, but what really happened? You know, if you get this guy and you know, get light up a cigar in a small room and get some scotch, he might tell you a different story. Like you know, it was going to be 33, but we couldn't, and this deal fell through. Or maybe in 15 years we're going to get the other mile when it's completed to coincide with, you know, 30, 30 anniversary of this, then the spell will be complete. Who knows? I mean, I don't pretend to understand all their stuff. It's so complex. We're just de-occulting the parts that we do know within their own systems. But, you know, is this a, is this a coincidence? Absolutely not. Uh, this is by design. It is structured this way for a specific reason. It's easy to see why the highway associations were competing with one another and no doubt Masons competing with other, other Masons to manifest a road upon which the world travels is to manifest the ability to generate wealth. Let's say that I'm Cyrus Avery and you're my buddy who is living out West. I'm like, hey, yo, Nathan, I want you to go to Flagstaff, Arizona, and I want you to buy up the land here, 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 and here. Buy all this up. Buy it up now. In fact, we're going to loan you the money. You buy it up. You pay us back. Open up a, in, 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 in insurance. Open up a trading. Open up some stockyards because it's going to be big. It's going to be big because the road's coming through here. And then I set you up. So on 11-11 of the same year, the Committee of Five met again and officially established the historical 66 highway system. This highway was ultimately approved with the numerological designation of 66 by the 32nd degree Cyrus Avery and Frank Sheets, former president of AASHO. Freemasons of the day were um, embedding into the foundational infrastructure of the United States their own system, which they have used ever since to further their agendas, where we have all benefited from the roads of the Freemasons who created them had the insider trading and no doubt benefited from the contracts as well as the hotels, restaurants, property across the nation. This is how power is achieved and maintained through Freemasonry. When we conquer space, it'll be the same thing. It will be the sons of people in power, people at MIT. It's not going to be the commoners doing it. Uh, we'll be brought up later for the maintenance on this system, but the infrastructure will be laid out by the ruling parties and um, uh, powers. Um, so, so let's 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 look at roads. Just like you said, I I, I, I think it's important to uh, to talk about that. All systems need an influx. They need a movement of goods and products, ideas, biological material, DNA. It has to it has to move and flow. So you're right when you when you say that uh, the Masons built roads. Let's not forget Masons, Freemasons are first and foremost builders. They're Masons. They build. They have the cornerstone. They all of their symbols. The most powerful symbol that they use that you don't really hear about is the 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 trowel. People don't hear about the trowel. You hear about the about the apron. You hear about the ashlar, but you never hear about the trowel. And that trowel is the link between the building and the man. It's his hand on that trowel, putting the mortar on there, binding all this stuff together. You got this. You got this machine of infrastructure moving west. You know who else was a mason that no one knows about? Billy the Kid was a Mason. Pat Garrett was a Mason. My gosh, who else? I go to the Alamo, right? Uh, Davy Crockett was a Mason. Jim Bowie was a Mason. Travis was a Mason. Houston was a Mason. All these guys. There's a plaque on the Alamo of all the Masons. Buffalo Bill Cody was a Mason. The majority of Western men coming across were Masons. In his book, The Roads That Built America, The Incredible Story of the U.S. Interstate System, Dan McNichols explains the importance of roads. The fall of Rome marked the beginning of the Dark Ages in Europe. With no central power to control trade and assure safe passage over the 50,000 miles of Roman highway, the roads plunged into disuse. Communication, trade, and travel along the ancient interstate system came to a grinding halt. In Europe, rule by Rome degenerated into rule by many warring fiefdoms, making travel between regions more dangerous. The wooden bridges rotted and fell away, and many of the grand stone roads were taken apart and used by peasants to erect walls between their fields and homes for their families. It wasn't until 1820 when John Loudon McAdam, a Scottish engineer, developed a method for building roads that allowed the ideas and commerce and culture to flow effectively again. 
McNichols explains that McAdams' determination to rid the world of wicked ways, meaning flawed roads, a term he applied to nearly every such surface in Europe, pulled road building out of antiquity. Roads paved with his namesake, McAdam, helped to make the Industrial Revolution a reality. The stagecoach and the horse breeding industries, grateful for an upsurge in their businesses due to smooth roads, crowned him the Colossus of Rhodes, a wordplay on the gigantic ancient statue known as the Colossus of Rhodes. Over 3,000 coaches, 150,000 horses, and 30,000 coachmen, guards, and horse keepers were employed as a direct result of the improvements his macadamized roads brought to the British Isles. And, it turns out, John Loudon McAdam was a Freemason. Somerset is a Freemason town, if any town can be described as such. Somerset was one of the only towns in America to receive a Masonic college. If you take a stroll through the Somerset Cemetery, the city's official cemetery, located only a couple of blocks from the center of town, you'll notice that a vast majority of the headstones bear Masonic symbols and weird cryptic words. Fathers who were Masons and wives who were members of the Eastern Star, Scottish Rite and York Rite, there are Masonic mausoleums and a strange air of mysticism everywhere you look. If you wanted to be part of this town, a part of the mechanism that moved this town, then you joined Lodge 111 and became a Freemason. Tunstall Quarles was a 19th century American politician and attorney who came west and helped found the pioneer settlement that would eventually become Somerset. Like so many early figures in the history of Pulaski County and the founding of Somerset, Quarles was a prominent member of the Freemasons. He used funding from the National Freemason Association to organize the first bank in Somerset, the Farmers Bank, and served as president from 1825 to 1827. And knowing this, it makes all the more sense that construction workers discovered highly crafted tunnels beneath First and Farmers Bank while constructing the new judicial building adjacent to it. And there are numerous newspaper articles about the mystery tunnels beneath Somerset. And maybe someone knows their purpose, but isn't saying. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Marco Visconti, and uh, I am a magician. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've been many things in my life. Uh, I've been a musician of, of some sort of renown for a while. And most of my life, I've been trying to make sense of life itself by virtue of decoding it with magical tools. I would love to hear your ideas on how integral Freemasons are and have been to sort of the infrastructure of, you know, England, of America, of the world, you know, yeah. they, they really have done a lot to to lay that that, you know, basis. So um, as, as you mentioned, uh, I am a Freemason. In fact, uh, as of today, I'm st- I'm the worshipful master of Goliath Lodge. 5595 under the jurisdiction of United Grand Lodge of England. Um, I've been a Freemason for almost 10 years now. And before that, I always had a fascination for Freemasonry because as you correctly you know, mentioned, Freemasonry tends to be the, the go-to um, fraternity, secret society that kind of like becomes as like the umbrella for everything else, right? Like it's all about the Freemasons in the end. It is absolutely true that there has been a golden age of Freemasonry, which really goes from the creation of United Grand Lodge of England in uh, 1717 up until, I would say, the, the World War II, whereby Freemasons were often connected, uh, Freemasonry was often connected to people of power, you know, monarchies uh, like royals uh, or people with a lot of money. And... By virtue of Freemasonry being a group that, you know, the tenet of Freemasonry is finding good men and make them better. So the idea is that it's it's straight up like a, a moral, like a moral play, if you want, whereby you try to do good to society, which you think about it, it's exactly the opposite of then what people think of Freemasonry in this day and age. In my, I mean, my experience, and of course, if any conspir- conspiratorial person will listen to that, will say, of course, they would say that he's a Freemason. But um, my experience is that ex- that that is exactly true. Like you're a Freemason, 
if you want to at least engage positively with the idea of civic duty. Okay, it's also absolutely undeniable that uh, the United States was built by Freemasons. We we know that uh, George Washington was a Freemason. Um, many of the founding fathers were Freemasons. It's absolutely undeniable. It's a proven fact that uh, D.C. Washington D.C. has been built uh, on Freemasonic uh, con- um, uh, concepts and and ideas. Uh, how you know, how you lay how you lay the streets. Uh, how you you try to almost like in many ways you can think of you know cities like D.C. like almost like feng shui of a city, right? How to how to how to build the the ideal city? Because of course, remember that Freemasonry it's 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 considered to be like the, the the philosophy of the builders, okay? That what is a mason? Mason is a mason, a stone mason originally, right? That was the idea. The stone masons that built the cathedrals eventually became when well, you know when you didn't need, you didn't need like uh, to build cathedrals in the stone, you start becoming building cathedrals and temples of the spirit, and that is the idea, right? You, you and then you create the perfect city, and the perfect city allows for the perfect society to manifest. It's definitely true that especially in the United States. And up until World War II, the, Free, the Freemasonic network was a network of, of people of wealth and power. And so it's it's absolutely true that if you look at the way that you, the, you know, the United States has have expanded and the way how this expansion was possibly, um, you know, enabled by the fact that those in charge were bound, you know, not only had like um, a duty to the country, but also the, maybe they had a duty, okay, I, we want to create the ideal city, we want to create a new Jerusalem, we want to create you know, new Athens or whatever other lofty and high uh, concept that was in their mind. Uh, but this is really, I mean, this is not conspiracy. Like you can find, you can find plenty, plenty of um, books or plenty of just evidence that you know, the, there there were there were connections between people, and there were there were like ideas of building together uh, across the country and growing together across the country. It's not a conspiracy that Freemasons, up until World War II, were really behind building states and trying to create the states as the ideal ideal state. Okay, I think that I mean I think I can tell you from my experience that. It's not really the case anymore. Freemasonry in the, in this day and age, it's mostly as mostly as we become like the dinner club. Anglo-American Freemasonry tend to be almost devoid completely of any spiritual, philosophical, or even you know esoteric um, backdrop. If you want, you can find more of that in French-Italian Freemasonry, uh, especially in the right of Memphis Miserium, to just be very specific. But the reality there is that since World War II, which was the peak of Freemasonic uh, membership worldwide. Numbers have been going down and Freemasonry might be more uh, more popular right now because you know uh, people like us, we talk about it on podcasts and people listen, they get interested, but numbers are not really going up because it's, I think I think it's just the idea of, uh, of, of, you know, of groups of people. I mean, the reality there is that if you don't have the money behind you know, backing you, <laughs> there's not much you can do, right? And Money now is somewhere else. Money is in deep tech. Money is Bezos and Musk, and they're not Freemasons because possibly it's like they don't need it. Like you know, they they don't they don't need that kind of network. But it's definitely true that if you ask me, like, did was there like an, inf- an involvement of Freemasons in expanding civilization? Absolutely yes. Like absolutely yes. Because the reality is that the 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 spirit of Freemasonry really is try to make the best. Uh, uh, society possible. On that note, I would like to, to point out the fact that when I say this best society possible, still in a very old, I would from a, from a as a telemite, I would say old Dionic and patriarchal construct. So in this case, the best uh, best society possible for a Freemason, it's maybe not the society we would like, like me and you would like right now, but it's more like, I don't know, imagine, imagine the ideal. 50s society right well you know everything is proper and everything is right and everything is happy in their place
There was a great deal of opposition to the construction of I-66 from the large pagan community in the Big South Fork area of Pulaski County that stretches south along the Cumberland River into Tennessee. I-66 was originally planned to cut through parts of the Daniel Boone National Forest, which held great reverence in the pagan community. It shares some borders with the Big South Fork, and on its eastern reaches is home to the Red River Gorge, a place with a propensity for high strangeness. The Daniel Boone National Forest is also one of the primary locations where Nima of the Bait Cabal performed and developed her Mayotte magic, which she described in correspondence with Kenneth Grant. And most people are not aware that the Daniel Boone National Forest is also where the Wiccan religion was reborn through the work of Lady Sheba in Whitesburg, Kentucky in the 1970s. Prior to discovering that there were groups like the Bait Cabal traveling from Cincinnati to Pulaski County and Somerset to perform magical rituals, I didn't realize how large the pagan community was here in this area. And after season two of Hellier aired, and we heard the allegations of Amy, that there was a green man worshiping cult in the Big South Fork area, we set about looking into whether there was any truth to the story she was telling. And that's when we discovered the Gwythonic Order. They're a group of Welsh Celtic pagan magicians who worship, among many Gaelic Welsh and Teutonic gods, Sunernos, the horned god, sometimes interpreted as a latter form of Pan but also correlated with the Green Man. In his book, Triumph of the Moon, Ronald Hutton argues that Sunernos, the horned god, became the god of modern paganism due to the popularity of the Greek god Pan with early 19th century English poets. Sunernos eventually evolved into the Green Man as a symbol of the underlying life force and of the renewed cycle of growth each spring. The Gwythonic Order, at its core, believed in the doctrine of Everything is the one, and the one is the all. The Gwythonic Order also worships a pantheon of Celtic gods or godlike beings known as the Tuatha Dé Danann, or the tribe of the goddess Danu. There are beliefs alive and well in Ireland that the Tuatha Dé Danann are the city, the immortal fae folk, who live unseen amongst the mortals, exerting their influence as they wish. In 2004, the College of Anu and the headquarters for the Gwydonic Order moved to, of all places, Somerset, Kentucky. There was indeed a green man worshiping group and a group familiar with Pan, but wholly unconnected to Dan Dutton that were drawn to Somerset, Kentucky and the Big South Fork area. Was the Amy Witness and Hillier somehow connected to this group or had knowledge of them? And in drawing this connection, I'm not indicating or insinuating that the Gwydonic Order were involved in any way with nefarious or malign rites or rituals. They're simply a group of modern pagans practicing and preserving ancient traditions. Still, could Amy and Hellier have somehow misinterpreted an encounter with this group in the Big South Fork? In trying to locate members of the Gwydonic Order, we discovered Matthew Bird, a folk magician, researcher, and historian who has been a part of the pagan community in the Big South Fork area for decades. Before season two of Hellier premiered, he was already aware and familiar with pagan groups in the Big South Fork that worship Sir Nunos and the Green Man. Well, you know what Burroughs said? That America... How does it go? Is not a young land. It's old. It's dirty. It's evil. Before the settlers, before the Indians, the evil was there waiting. You have these mountains that are the oldest mountains in the world. All of this was just here waiting. And magic is all about intention. If I have two people and I have a, I give them both a knife. One may use the knife to fashion tools, to um, cut food. The other may take that same knife and stab the other guy and take everything that he just made. It's all about intention. Black magic, white magic, it's all the same. It's about your will. It's about your intention. I think the same thing happens with wellspring of energy with the land. It's here. What are you going to do with it? You have the people who are trying to protect the land with like the Kentucky Heartland, Heartwood. You have the people who are trying to destroy the land um, for their own gain with the logging companies and the road companies, um, with the coal miner 
or the people who own the coal mines, the people who are fracking, the people who are doing all these things to destroy the land for their own personal gain and their own evil intentions. There is a, we were talking about the McCreary County area and Daniel Boone Forest. Um, something that I don't know if you guys are aware of it. There is a group called Kentucky Heartwood. And you, if you go to their website, which is like kyheartwood.org, um, the first line you see is, we need forests we can get lost in, trees that make us gape, streams that we can drink from, wild places sustain and define us. We, in turn, must protect them. And this group is basically... Um, doing what they can to stop the logging in Daniel Boone. And they were, um, they were, I forget they were trying to make a road at some place or some point, make a, um, I think the I-66 was supposed to go through Daniel Boone and they're trying to prevent that. They're trying to protect this sacred area. And there's nothing more pagan than that, man. My name is Kiki Dombrowski. I love to travel and as a result found myself moved to work with how I felt in different places that I've traveled and also recognize that there are specific sacred destinations that offer spiritual experiences. My deepest passion is is obviously tarot and I, I'm actually at the point now, too, where I consider myself a tarot researcher and not even necessarily a tarot reader. So even if you sit down with, with me to get a reading, it, it's going to be an engaging conversation where I, I'm going to ask you open-ended questions and I'm going to expect that you do some work on your end to see things happen or manifest that that you desire. But, you know, I've, I've been studying this forever along with, with witchcraft and, and magic and, and mythology. I studied Celtic and Norse mythology and Arthurian legend in college. So both in my undergrad and my master's, <laughs> you know, I was reading, you know, about Morgan Le Fay and the Green Man and, uh, and, and writing papers on runes. So I've always found ways to, to, to weave the world of magic and enchantment into my life. I, this idea of like, we're going to re-envision, remarket America. We're going to make these places that people want to go to. And I love that they connect the lodges. And I, and I remember I was mentioning to you in a message, I thought, you know, what if Route 66 is like a modern day ley line? And, and that makes even more sense because maybe the lodges, I know that ley lines are traditionally supposed to be straight. But I mean, I love the idea of the lodges kind of being these like central temple points. And, you know, you follow 66 and that's the line that you stay on. It's, it's <laughs> a really interesting thing. You also hear people, and this is another highway story. You hear people, for some reason, their intuition, like, turns on when they're in the car and they think, you know what, I'm not going to take the normal exit I need to take to get home tonight. They decide to, you know, take a detour for whatever reason. And, you know, when they get home, there's always this story of, well, because I I took that detour, I avoided an accident. So I I like that idea too, that, that maybe by getting on the road, I don't, I know too, you know, not in a scary, you know, not watching the roadway, but I do tune out when I'm on the road and, and, and that's part of the fun. There is some sort of meditative feeling to driving. You, know, you listen to music or you listen to a podcast or, you know, coast to coast, if you're lucky, I guess, you know, whatever it is, but you tune out, you, you, you know, people always say I become one with the road, you know, and what, what happens to you spiritually when you become one with the road? I automatically go to the numerology of 66, and I think 6 plus 6 equals 12. And then we start going into that number 12 again, which, you know, we could link up to the Hanged Man, which I know that that was something that was pretty significant for you because, you know, the Hanged Man is is, is that of initiation. But then you could break it down even more and say 1 plus two is three. And I know how important the number three is to, to Masons. 
the book Good Omens that was done by uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Like one of the opening scenes, they're talking about how like the devil created sigils <laughs> in the shapes of the different roads in, in London. And those shapes actually like conjured these feelings of frustration and anger in people. So it's, it's almost like there are wicked ways, ways in the roads and, and, and you know, and, and that's kind of an interesting thought too. Like, how does the shape of a road make you feel? Like, what if you're on a spiral road? Or what if you're on a straight road? Or what if you're on a winding road? Or a road that goes through a tunnel? Or a road that's on the side of a cliff? You're going to have all these different responses to to those surroundings and to to the feeling that your body has moving through those those different shapes. Route 66 is sort of built into the culture here. Because I even, when I, I'd heard about 66, they were talking about it as if it was Route 66. And I was like, Route 66 doesn't run anywhere <laughs> here, you know? And, and so anyway, I just thought that was, for me, starting the story there. Because, you know, to delve into these ideas of roads as paths, you know, or or, you know, these roads to initiation... Which it's felt really, you know, this whole like mystery and like all the stuff that we found and we're continuing to find feels weird, weirdly initiatory. But, not, you know, what is that? You know, I just think it's the journey of trying to, to figure this stuff out. But it has been sort of life altering and amazing and inspiring. And and I thought that was a great place to start the story because ultimately, I think just like in divination practices, you have to have true randomness for it to actually work. Um, it's almost like you have to actually be lost. Like it can't actually be a road to somewhere. It has to be a road to nowhere to actually get somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering what you meant by that when you said randomness for divination. And, you know, that's interesting. You have to be lost. I also think, too, I really love the idea of roads and paths as initiations because, you know, like it makes me think of pilgrimages, like these people who are going from point A to point B to have a religious experience. You know, there was the, the Eleusian mysteries in ancient Greece where pilgrims would walk on a path from Athens to Eleusis. And they made this journey knowing that there was going to be some sort of outcome. There would be some sort of like, I don't know, like a spiritual leveling up by making it to the finish line. But I also For a period of time, I served on the board of directors of a nonprofit called Watershed Arts Alliance. This was the first time I encountered Dan Dutton's name and his artwork because he was one of the original founders of the organization. Dan was revered as a legendary local artist that had achieved recognition across the state of Kentucky and across the nation. Mitch McConnell even gave a speech on the floor of the United States Senate regarding Dan Dutton and his influence on art in America. And Dan's four-part dance opera, The Secret Commonwealth, was like nothing anyone had ever fucking seen in Kentucky, or anywhere else for that matter. It involved fairies and alchemy and life's great mystery, death. Dan's work centers on initiation and ritual. He explores these subjects in the lived sense, in the way that true art is the initiation into the art itself. And the entire process is, at its most basic, alchemical and transformative. The second part of The Secret Commonwealth, The Road, takes the audience on the journey of life and initiation, and it begins with coyote blood. Like I say, I was working on The Road at the time and just charting out how mythic travel, what its, you know, what its arc a tip, what the typical arc of it is like was way, it was plenty of stuff to deal with. 
you know, and I had to deal with coyotes too in it because that's how that thing started. I was like, you cannot keep bringing animals into this, right? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It is a rhizome of the thing. This mm-hmm. dream is a powerful one, but it, to describe it at the time and put it into the opera would be, it was already completely stump, stumpifying in the first place, you know, and it had far more information than it actually was able to unload, too. I mean, the, this is an important, this is an important step on the journey of life to understand certain dangers like that that are in the mythic journey of life. Did you guys take Route 66 out there? Did we took know? Highway 40, which is Route 66, part of the way. Part of this, part of the myth of, of fire origins or quests for fire have to do with uh, questing or journeying in one way or another. I mean, even Prometheus has to make a quest to steal the fire from from the gods. And it made me realize in, in myths, especially like many that I've learned and learned how to tell, you don't tell everything that happens on the way to getting to the place because some of it is extremely desolate. Like the journey goes, I thought, how could I actually tell this thing the way? Because we're zipping through this in this car now, but in a mythic sense to get from point A to point B, you go through desolation for a long time. Desolation is always a long time, right? It's like an infinitely long period of desolation. The... I mean, every definition of the spiritual quest defines it exactly that way. I mean, even think um, of, uh, I mean, there's even like um, the, at the, at the middle of point in life, I found myself lost in a dark forest, right? <laughs> and then it's that point that some discovery or something that happens is able to liberate you from the static space that you've been in. That's what the road talks about in the beginning of it. Nothing is here. There's no reason to stay, you know, wasting time (laughs) in the stagnant place. And that is, that is the feeling that is the most mortifying to life of all feelings that nothing that you're just trapped in law in nothingness in where nothing is happening nothing's changing the only thing that's changing is that you're becoming weaker day by day as you grow older you and know is that when the road appears i mean is that that is what the road appears yeah you either break free of that thing and begin the journey or you don't for me it was like i had to like rip my Rip my mind apart to even get it to happen in the beginning of it. When I started out on that trip, got in the car and took off after driving through where the coyote, the gore of the slaughtered coyote um, and leaving tracks of blood on the road. When I stopped to get gas over at the, at the intersection of 27 and 80, when I got out of the car, I like blacked out. For like a split second, I just blacked out, like, you know, complete existential epistemological break, complete. And I had a notebook with me, so I noted down in my notebook immediately that, you know, I, that I couldn't, I couldn't remember who I was. I couldn't remember where I was going or what I was doing, or even if that was my car. That was the first thing that I did figure out was indeed the car was my car that I and I was supposed to get in it and head west. But um, it was real hard for me to, to cause that trip to happen. I had huge, I had huge resistance. In Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, Michael A. Hoffman gives his version of the occult history of Route 66. 
The famous old American highway, Route 66, was laid out by Freemasons with the apparent intention of sending masses of automobile riders into a self-processing occult trip. Route 66 began at the Buckingham Fountain in Chicago, near the site of the University of Chicago's collection of Aztec ritual, Incunabula. It ended in Barstow, California, in the Mojave Desert, which is for the Freemasons, the cosmic graveyard of the West, the final destiny of Anubis, the celestial jackal, otherwise known as Sirius. If this version of Route 66 smacks of some medieval pilgrimage made more appropriately on a camel than a car, it is for good reason. Most of Route 66 was based on a road forged in 1857 by Lieutenant Edward Bill and his caravan of the U.S. Camel Corps. Why did Hoffman think that the Freemasons were performing some dark sorcery to control American politics? Well, he purports that he was told the story of William Morgan at a young age. And if you're not familiar with who William Morgan is, he was a former Freemason who expressed his intention to publish the secrets of the Freemason Fraternal Order in 1826. But soon after expressing that intention, he disappeared and was presumed kidnapped and later murdered. His body was never found. This sparked public outcry and allowed Thurlow Weed and other politicians to harness this discontent by founding the new anti-Masonic party in opposition to President Andrew Jackson's Democrats. Hoffman says that this also spurred him to research the occult workings of what he calls the cryptocracy, which was an international conspiracy led by sorcerous Freemasons. And that's where a lot of the conspiracies that we read about today and a lot of these assertions of even groups like QAnon, they all come back to a point in the 1970s and the 1980s when these kinds of ideas began. I bring up all these details regarding Freemasons, not because I believe there's a Masonic conspiracy to control the world or they're behind some kind of new world order. I don't think those things are true because they don't have to be true in order to explain problems in our lives or societal issues on national and international levels. It's too simplistic to say that the Freemasons or some other cabal or secret society are responsible for something happening. That's not to say that there aren't conspiracies. There's certainly orchestrated socio-political plots, and the American government and its clandestine divisions have done their share of spreading chaos and fucking misinformation to turn the tide in one direction or another. In building Route 66, Cyrus Avery and the others in the Western Highway Associations weren't constructing a ritual space to perform some great working. But there were those among the group that definitely subscribed to occult beliefs. By and large, most of these individuals were probably motivated by money, not by some desire to perform sorcery. And really what this season is about is stories and narratives and who controls them. Are you in control of your own narrative or are you simply subscribing to someone else's narrative? And is that narrative harmful? Can that narrative cause you or others to act in a way that causes harm? We understand our entire lives through stories. We tell stories to ourselves every moment of every day. Narratives are the most powerful things in our lives because they define who we are and they shape our reality. And if you aren't in control of your narrative, you aren't in control of your reality. We need to understand how narratives can be controlled so that we can combat and guard against those people who do seek to control the narrative, who do want to capture our realities. I think it's vital, especially now, in this moment, to understand where narratives come from and how they're created, how they're manufactured, how they're manipulated. The idea that there's a Masonic conspiracy to control the world and work some grand sorcery is a particularly powerful narrative that a lot of people subscribe to. Most people know where that narrative comes from, but I'd venture to say that they're wrong. I'd guess that they've never heard of James Shelby Downer Jr. and his Masonic War. His ideas and his narrative have significantly shaped the world of conspiracy theory and have come all the way back around. He's become a central figure in this mystery, in the Pennyroyal mystery, and his life is intimately intertwined with Rhodes, 
asphalt and alchemy. And it's very possible that he never fucking existed. Penny Royal is written and produced by your host, Nathan Paul Isaac. Associate producers are Darian West and Kyle Cadell. Original musical score by Philip Clonch. Edited and mixed by Boone Williams. Sponsored by Jarfly Brewing Company and the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center. If you're interested in joining the investigation and diving deeper into the story, visit pennyroyalpodcast.com and support the show by becoming a member of the Liminal Lodge. Thanks for listening and keep digging. Your memory contains